Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're starting this series kind of leading up to Easter, Jesus' resurrection, and looking at his way of surrender. But we're kind of focusing on, on two kind of ideas. One, we're looking at the way that Jesus went surrendering his will to the Father and his life for us on the cross. And as we look at his way of surrender, we're also going to be seeing the way that we can surrender our will to his and our life for him. So we're looking at the way that Jesus surrendered his will to the Father and his life for us and how we can surrender our will to his and our life to him. And we're going to be starting tonight in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, in a a message that I've titled The Way of Service. Um, And I think we got the Bible app thing dialed in this week. Is that true? Can I get a fact check on that? Yes? Gummy says so. So in Bible app, bottom right, there's like three lines, I think. Hit that under events, and you can hit events, and there is a lot of notes Um, as well as stuff going on on the screen. I'm just buying time so you can find it and find John chapter 13 and verse 1. Is anyone there? Anyone have an analog Bible? (laughs) That's not an analog Bible. That's a digital one, Geo. Come on. All right. uh, John 13 and verse 1 is where we're going to be. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world, and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pray and we'll talk about this story. Lord Jesus, we come before you, Lord, with, with a desire that we've, we've asked of you before, Lord, that you would meet us here in this place. But Lord, although we've, we've come to the same place with the same ask, we ask a, a fresh outpouring of your presence. Lord, we believe that you are living, you're breathing, and you're powerful. And so, Lord, would we encounter your breath and your life and your power in this place tonight? Lord, would you allow your word to come alive to us in this place? Lord, that it wouldn't just be words and letters on a page, Lord, but it would be the living and breathing and powerful word of God in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're hopping into here the middle of a story, the story of Jesus' life. And we're at the point that we are, it's kind of turning, it's the beginning of the end of his life. So the uh, Apostle John, who wrote the book of John, starting at this story is his final evening into his betrayal and his uh, ultimate death the next day and then resurrection. And here, this is uh, a meal that Jesus is having with his disciples, the Passover meal. 
And the Passover is a holiday that is celebrating uh, the, the deliverance of the people of God out of Egypt and into the wilderness and ultimately the promised land. But we see a kind of interesting story here where the, the evening begins, they're sitting at the table, they're having dinner, and they're celebrating. And then we're told that Jesus gets up from the table, he takes off his outer garment, and he puts on a, a servant's robe, he fills up a bowl of water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now straight away, we're like, this is really weird, right? Like you're like, ugh, not my kind of party. But it, it should be odd. I don't know why I said it that, like that, odd. I was in the middle of alarming in my mind, and I said odd, so I said odd. Um, but not for the reasons that we think, but for different reasons. It's actually pretty common in Jesus' day for uh, before a meal, and specifically a, a significant meal like the Passover would be, that there would be feet washing before the meal. The reason for that being is that they, people would get cleaned up for a party, and then they would walk to wherever the dinner party was. And on the road, just because of the climate of Israel, the dirt roads, and the fact that they were walking in sandals, their feet would get dirty. So upon the entry to the party, it was common or likely that there would be some kind of hired servant that would wash the feet of the guests that were attending this meal. It was a common thing to happen, but the person that was doing it is most likely the lowest-ranking servant in the house. If there was more than one servant, there would operate in ranks. One would be making food, and the other one would be responsible for washing the feet and doing other things. The person who was responsible for washing the feet was definitely not the host, was definitely not the guest, was not the children of the host, and was 100% not a rabbi or a guest of honor like Jesus would be. Jesus was a rabbi and he had disciples and he would be a person of honor and a guest of honor. So the fact that Jesus is girding himself in the servant's clothes is super odd. <laughs> uh, strange. It's different. And, and so let's look at this story. Let's kind of uncover why it's more weird than just feet being washed at a dinner party. And we're, as we do, we're going to pull kind of three ideas from this story that we're going to learn that are very important. One, we're going to learn about Jesus. We're going to learn about his person. We're going to learn who he is. We're going to learn his power or what propels him. And we're going to learn our purpose or how we live. So the three things we're going to look at is Jesus, his person, who he is, to his power, what propels him, and three, our purpose or how we live. First thing that we're going to look at is his person. Now, Jesus in, in his life, he made a, a lot of lofty claims about himself. He, he made a lot of big claims about who he is. Uh, he actually claims to be God. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, uh, I've, I've met people, like, growing up skateboarding. Uh, when you skateboard, your shoes, like, get ripped. 
for whatever reason, the grip tape rips them. And I remember being in like elementary school and people having ripped shoes and being like, oh, you must skate. They're like, oh, yeah, like I can, I can do kick flips. I can do all the things. And then one time I found a kid who talked all this stuff about skateboarding. I found his YouTube channel, skating, and he was just really bad. And he made this claim and then he like got hounded for it. Like you can't make claims, you can't live up. Jesus, he makes lofty claims such as being God. Look, look at some of the things that he says. He says, before Abraham, this is John 8, 58. He says, before Abraham, I am. What Jesus is doing here is he's aligning himself with the divine name of God. I am. There's seven I am statements uh, in the book of John. Statements claiming the character of God as his own character. He even, this is a quote from John in John 5, it says that Jesus even called God his father, making himself equal with God. It's a pretty big claim. And uh, he also did not refuse worship like angels or apostles. In uh, Matthew 16, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus accepts it. Thomas says that you are my Lord and my God, and Jesus allows it. And, and one story is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. People are worshiping him and praising him. And people are, say, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop worshiping. And he says, if they don't do it, even the rocks are going to cry out and worship. Jesus makes big claims about his life. So much so that these are the claims that would cause the religious people to the, the next day from the story we're looking at, uh, arrest him, illegally try him, and ultimately put him to death on the cross. It's these claims that got Jesus crucified. These claims that, that offended people, offended the religious people, and ultimately got him killed. But in this story, very interesting, it's not his lofty claims about being God that offends someone, but it's something else. Jesus, he gets up from the table, he puts on his servant's clothes, he gets his pot of water, and he begins to wash his, his disciples' feet. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, Lord, you are not going to wash my feet. Peter's offended. Not at his lofty claims, but he's actually offended at his lowly living. Because he, he thinks this is the Christ, the son of the living God. You can't be behaving, not like a host, not like a guest, not even like a son of a host, but you're behaving like the lowest of the servants. I'm not going to allow it. And Peter's offended. He, put, he, he says, no. But Jesus is very significant what he's doing because not only does he claim the, the highest of the, the loftiness of God, but he also is claiming the very low nature and character of God. From the beginning, God delights himself with the lowly. God, throughout the entire story of the Bible, he delights himself with the lowly. We see this as he called Abraham, who was a childless man, to be the father of his people. He, he gives an inheritance to the younger Jacob rather than the older Esau. He called Moses, who had trouble speaking, to speak the law and the way of God to his nation. 
He anointed David, a shepherd boy, to be king. And even in Jesus' own life, he was born into a farmhouse and he was a carpenter for 30 years. He said that he didn't have a home to rest his head. And he gets up from the table and he washes his disciples' feet. Jesus here is identifying himself not only with the lofty claims, but with the lowly living. And this combination of Jesus' life is a perfect embodiment of the person and the heart of God. See, without these these claims, Jesus is just some loving teacher. And, And without the service, Jesus is just yet another God that we can't reach, that we can't know. But in this, Jesus embodies the very character of God that we can know an all-powerful God. You guys following me? Is this fun? Okay. Uh, John writes a pretty interesting thing before he tells us that Jesus gets up and washes his feet. He says this in in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his feet and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So here, John is speaking into those lofty claims that Jesus has all authority given to him from the Father, and then he chose to come from God, and now ultimately he will return to God. And then he says, so he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, he writes about the the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And he instructs us to live similarly to the way that Jesus lived. And he says this in uh, Philippians 2, 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And uh, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What what Paul writes here kind of echoes the very thing that Jesus did at the dinner table. Paul says that he was equal with God in glory, but then he humbled himself to the form of a bondservant, stripped off his outer cloak of glory, wrapped himself in humanity, and lowered himself not only to the lowest point of our feet to cleanse them, but lower than that he went to death, even death on the cross, so that he can cleanse us of our sins. Jesus, as he's washing his disciples' feet, he is embodying or illustrating the very work that he is going to do, not just for his disciples, but for all people who believe in him. That Jesus, who was in heaven, he was sitting at a meal in heaven, and he got up from his meal, stripped off his glory, wrapped himself in servant's clothes of humanity, and lowered himself to death so that he could cleanse us. In this story, we see the person of Jesus perfectly embodying the heart and the character of God as Jesus lowers himself to wash. He lowers himself to wash. 
The second thing that we see is not only his person embodying the character and the heart of God, but we also see the power that propels Jesus. The power that propels Jesus. We're told in, in the first verse that we read that having loved his own, Jesus loved them till the end. What is it that motivated Jesus or propelled Jesus, powered Jesus to lower himself to wash his disciples' feet and lowered himself to death to cleanse us of our sin? John tells us that it was love. It was the love that he had for his people. Jesus is motivated, motivated by love. But the question should be, well, why does he love who he loves? Okay, Jesus is motivated to love his own, and he's going to love them till the end. But why, why does he love these people? It's kind of an interesting question. Like, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Wait, wait, wait. Why does God love the world? You ever ask that question? What, what, I understand God loves... Why does God love me? In Ephesians 2 and verse 4, I love this verse. It says, uh, because his great love, or excuse me, his great love in which he loved us. I like this verse because it, or it tells us that Jesus, God, has great love and he chooses to love us. But, but why? In Deuteronomy 7, this is a story where God is speaking to the nation of Israel after being freed from Egypt and setting them into the promised land, and he's speaking his ways into their life. And he says this, uh, Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were least of all people. But because the Lord loves you, he would keep his oath. Wait, wait, wait. The Lord did not love you because... But because, rather, he loves you because he loves you. Isn't that funny? Like, well, why does God, what, what motivates God to love us? Well, it's because he loves us. Well, why does he love us? Because of his love. He loves us because of his, and he, he shows his love to us because he loves us. Why does he love us? Because he loves us. And I love this passage in Deuteronomy because it shows that it's not the great numbers of the Israelites, but it's because his love. See, Jesus doesn't love you. This is a, this is a quote from a pastor named uh, Tim Keller. He said, Jesus does not love you because you are good. He loves you because he is good. He does not love you because you are great. He loves you because he is great. He doesn't love you because you are holy. He loves you because he is holy. God does not love you because you are righteous, but rather he loves you because he is righteous. See, the love that God has for us is completely initiated by himself, not by anything that we do. He loves you because he loves you. And because his love is propelled by his own love for you, there's nothing that you could do to, to run from it. The apostle said, Paul says that you, you cannot run from the, there's no height, there's no depth, there's no power that can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because he loves you. And the love that Jesus shows of washing his disciples' feet, it's not a one-time love, 
but it's a faithful and continual love, a relational love. It says he loved his own and he loved them till the end. It's a faithful love. God doesn't just love you for a moment. He doesn't just love you to forgive, forgive your sins and then separates himself. No way. He loves you to the end. I mentioned earlier that Peter, he gets all offended by Jesus. Let's look at what the conversation looks like. John 13, uh, 6 and verse, 10, uh, and verse 6, excuse me. He came to Peter who said to him, Lord, you are not going to wash my feet. And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus is like, whoa, that's weird. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. And he says, though not every one of you. And he begins to speak to, about Judas, who's going to betray him. Kind of an interesting conversation. He says, he says, don't wash my feet. And then Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. And Jesus says, well, then wash my whole body. Jesus says, I don't need to wash your whole body because you're already clean. I'm just going to wash your feet. Later in John 15, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he speaks not of a bodily cleansing, but of a spiritual cleansing that Jesus provides as well. In John 15 and verse 3, he says that you are clean because of the word that I have spoken over you. Jesus says to the disciples that because of his word, there is, uh, they are clean, when we come into relationship with Jesus, it is the blood of Jesus and his word that washes us clean from our sin and into life and forgiveness. The work of Jesus washes us clean. But in this story, we see that Jesus is speaking of an additional washing, or rather a continual washing. And Jesus, he's saying that your, your feet are dirty, your body is clean, but your feet are dirty, and your feet are dirty because of the world that you've walked in from your cleansing to your destination. They washed at home, and then they walked to their party, and now their feet are dirty from the world that they've walked in. Jesus has a realistic understanding of human nature. Our bodies have been cleansed. Jesus has forgiven us. His blood has made us clean and his word makes us clean. But still we get covered by the dust of the world that we walk through. We give in to temptation or we're influenced by people around us causing us to look more like them rather than Jesus. We do things that are wrong and that we regret or we sin and we mess up, we find ourselves, like what Nate was talking about, in low places. We, we find ourselves in seasons of, of depression or anxiety as we are covered in the dust of the world that we walk through. And so often when we find ourselves covered in the dust of the world that we're living in, we act like Peter. And we say, no, Lord, you should never wash my feet. We think that the dirtiness of our feet is, is a reason to push Jesus away. But Jesus says, 
you will have no part in me unless you allow me to wash your feet. Jesus is expecting us to get dirty and beaten up from the world that we're living in. And the sin that we slip into or the difficulty that we're facing or whatever it is that that has built up on the bottom of our feet does not uh, give us a reason to run from Jesus, but it should actually propel us to experience more of the continual love that Jesus has for his people. It, it, let, let me tell you, if you are, are living through a situation right now where you feel like you are walking through the dust of this world, getting covered in, in, in difficulty or sin or whatever, let me tell you that Jesus wants to stoop low and wash your feet. He wants to re- redeem you. He wants to restore you. And, and also, there, there doesn't need to be a full body washing. Every time you mess up, you don't need to come back to Jesus and allow him to wash your full body. He says, I'll just wash your feet. Thanks, Pete. (laughs) Hold on, man. (laughs) I'll just wash your feet. That there is a continual and relational love that Jesus illustrates here. Now, Jesus also says kind of towards the end of the section... He says that I have done this, this washing of the feet, as a model for you so that you can do what I have done. Jesus tells us that the washing of his feet is a model for his followers to step down from whatever glory we have to wrap ourselves in servants' garments and begin to wash the feet of the people around us. Jesus, he he gives us a purpose. He gives us a way of living that we are to step down low and wash other people's feet. Unfortunately, in my life, I've had to experience something like that. A couple years ago, when I was working at the barbershop, it was right before COVID. We were all sitting around. There's like nobody coming into the shop at all. We're sitting around, we're playing Madden. Uh, I'm watching people play Madden because I'm a little brother, and that's way better than playing video games. It's washing, watching, washing people's feet while they're playing video games. Um, watching people play video games. And so I'm watching someone else play a video game, and uh, one guy is cutting hair, and uh, a person walks in, an elderly man walks in with his nurse, and they're, uh, he's getting brought to get a haircut. And he's waiting for the only barber who's doing a haircut at the time. And so we all just continue playing Madden. At a certain point, the elderly man got up to use the restroom. And uh, the barber, who he's waiting for, finished the haircut and joined us in playing Madden or watching playing Madden. So we're all hanging out and we're talking and whatever. And then after about 45 minutes, we look over and we realize that the nurse is still there playing, playing Candy Crush on our phone. And we're like, wait, hold on, where did that guy go? And then we're like, oh, like maybe he went over to the pub next door or something. So they went and checked. He wasn't in there. So then we're like, oh, wait, he walked into the bathroom. So then one of the barbers walks over and knocks on the door and, uh, and is like, hey, is everything okay? And then as he's saying that, he noticed coming out from under the door 
a mess coming from the bathroom from underneath the, from underneath the door. And uh, so then he walks over to the nurse, and he says, he says, hey, I, I think he might need help. So the nurse gets up reluctantly and knocks on the door. He's like, is everything okay? And he just kind of groans, I need a change of clothes. So then the nurse gets up and leaves, drives off, and comes back about 30 minutes later. He's still, he's still in there with a change of clothes and, uh, and kind of whatever. It gives him the change of clothes. Takes the, he comes out. He's now in fresh clothes apart from his socks and shoes, if you know what I mean. And he comes and he sits down uh, in the barber chair for his haircut. That's bold, man. That's crazy. That's bold. Uh, he, he gets a haircut. The nurse kind of, fought after he left the bathroom, was in there for a moment, and then she came out, continued Candy Crush. He got his haircut completed, and he left. Now, I'm sitting there the whole time with one thought. It's not my job. It's not, I don't, it's not my job. Nurse went in there. It's not my job. I don't get paid by the hour. I get paid by the haircut. It's literally not my job. I don't own this shop. It's not my job. I don't need to use the restroom. It's not my job. There's eight other barbers in here. It's not my job. I'm not. What bathroom? What? Not, not my job. Not my, not my job. Not my job. Not my job. And then all of a sudden I am opening the door like in an in a out-of-body experience, and I'm looking into the, like, how did I get here? It's all over the walls. It's all over the door. Handprints grasping the sink. And I begin to unroll paper towels and begin to wash the bathroom. And I'm using myself as a good example here, which is almost never a good idea. But, but this, this moment, honestly, was a spiritual mountain for me. Because as I was sitting there thinking... This is not my job. This is not my job. I don't need to do it. I was also f wrestling with the fact that there was going to be a mom who came in with their son to get a haircut. Maybe the mom needed to use the restroom. Or maybe one of the guys that I worked with were going to get up and, and they were going to do it. And, and, I'm, and I was just thinking, and I, I, as I was thinking, I was thinking of the fact that Jesus called the greatest thing in his kingdom is the servant of all. The greatest thing in his kingdom is the servant of all. Jesus, in this story, he redefines what greatness is. Greatness is not being in authority over people, but it's actually surrendering your authority in love to stoop down and to serve other people. And what that looks like in your life, what he modeled as he washed his disciples' feet, is wrestling with yourself. That's not my job, but Jesus loved me so much. 
It wasn't his sin that he died for. It was my sin. It's not my job to do that, but it wasn't Jesus' job to forget to, to get rid of our sins, but he did it anyways. And so he sets out a model that we are to follow, that the greatest thing in his kingdom is to stoop low and to be the servant of all. And what that looks like may be cleaning a mess off the floors and the walls and the sink and the door (laughs) of a bathroom. Jesus gave us a model uh, that for, for us to step down from whatever glory we have and to stoop down low and to serve, even if it's not your shop or your client or your job, you serve. Even if it's someone who's mean to you, you treat them with kindness. Even if you grow, so if you grow up to be a boss and you have people under you, you, you stoop down low by leading them and treating them fairly and considering their time and paying them an honorable wage. If you grow up and you have a wife and and kids or a husband and and kids, you serve them. You're patient with them. You serve them in humility. Or if you have money, you serve them by being generous to find the truth that Jesus speaks of when he says it's better to give than to receive. Or if you disagree with someone, you treat them with kindness and respect. If there's someone that hurts you, you stoop down low and you choose to forgive them even before they've apologized. Jesus says this is a model to to set aside your glory and to stoop low and wash your feet. Jesus gives us this model and, and gives us a purpose to humble ourselves, to honor, to respect, and treat with kindness those who are close and those who are different than us. And he also gives us this model that we could recognize that the greatest thing in the kingdom of God is humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus says that that the humble will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And he says this is a model that we to take off our glory because of the glory that he stripped off of himself so that he could stoop low all the way to the point of death so that he could forgive you and he can love you because he loves you and he's going to continually love you despite your mistakes, despite the, the, the temptations you give in, despite the difficulty that you face, uh, the, when you run from him, there's nothing that can separate you from that love and he's gonna continually show it to you. And your response to that is by stepping out and serving the way that he served us. 